Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson and our good friend Josh God, who's been kind enough to join us for our first segment this week. Uh, first, though, Jada, how much coffee have you had? Because this is just a weekly thing now. Yeah, so I am just about done with my first cup of coffee. Probably that's going to be it for me today. Interesting. See, last week it was an uh, unnamed uh, branded energy drink, but uh, a, a name that shall remain nameless. Yes, sir. Uh, you probably know which one, but uh, unless they give us money, yes, yeah. If you start paying us, we'll we'll take your money and run. But uh, yeah, <laughs> this morning I got a lot more sleep than I'm used to, so <laughs> I did. I thought one would be good. Atta boy, atta boy. Josh Scott joining us for our weekly run around Buzz City. Josh, how you doing this morning? Doing well, Brad. Doing well. Good to be with you guys, as always. I'm currently on the bus right now, headed back to Charlotte from Boone. I'm just going to spend the Easter weekend with my family. Um, we just passed Dallas, North Carolina. I don't know if y'all know there's a Dallas in North Carolina. I thought there was. I did. That's where the Cowboys play, right? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, that's the what uh, I the Pee Wee Cowboys, maybe. <laughs> I guess. Maybe the flag football team, I guess. But, yeah. But yeah, we are. Uh, uh, it's, good, it's good to be on with you guys again. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Always good to have you, my friend. Uh, the only person that may be a bigger Hornets fan or close to as big a Hornets fan is either of us. So good to have your insight on here. J-Dub, uh, this squad uh, going through a bit of a, a a roller coaster stretch, so to speak. Uh, two and two right. in the last four. A game uh, last Sunday that I thought was certainly winnable against a Phoenix team that has shot up the standings in recent Absolutely. weeks to second in the Western Conference. Uh, they're firing on all cylinders. But that was a game I thought, and, and Josh and I were texting during it, that A, was pretty winnable. B, it was another one of those situations where in both games against Phoenix have come down to, to two or three uh, officiating calls that did not go the Hornets' way. Mm-hmm. I'd really say in the Hornets' past five um, – as of recording, their past five was against Brooklyn, Washington, Phoenix, Miami, and Houston. I'd say we really only dropped one game that we had no business losing, and it was that Phoenix game. The Hornets are a good team. They're a decent squad, but they're not a championship contender. They're not fooling anybody. They're they're one of those teams that you know is going to go to the playoffs, and they might even steal a game in the first round, but that's their ceiling. And anything more than that is... I don't even want to say exceeding expectations at that point. That's just going way above and beyond. That's going 150%, right? If the Hornets steal a game in the first round, that's 110% out of what they were capable of, in my opinion. So I don't think 
there is some sort of slippage going on in the organization. Obviously, we've been without LaMelo Ball for the past couple games. Other guys are going to have to start picking up put it into high gear. So I don't blame any one person. I don't even blame the coaching or anything like that. The Hornets have just played some tough squads um, and not been able to make the most out of it. Uh, but it was a close loss in Phoenix or it, they actually played in Charlotte, but you know, regardless, it was an overtime loss. One one to 97. That's not something to be ashamed about. It's a decent squad. Now that blowout loss in Brooklyn, that's something that you might want to be a little bit worried about. So if I'm Charlotte, you know, you're kind of treading water a little bit, but we've already had a decent record. And this is the East. You can make right now, you could still make the playoffs with a losing record. So I'm not really worried all that much. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you there. And uh, Josh, this is something that we talked about uh, last night over the course of that Brooklyn or a couple nights ago over the course of that Brooklyn game uh, on national TV was, you know, you, you can't afford to falter now, especially when Miami a team you've beaten twice is hot on your heels when you're trying to cling to one of those top four seats. Yeah, exactly, Brett. And you don't want to have more games that results in me turning off the TV or, in this case, uh, you know, turning off my phone after the second quarter. Because last night was a game that made me genuinely ticked as a Hornets fan. We did not get off – we didn't get off to a great start at all. It was a, it was a, a, a season low, uh, a lot of points in the first quarter. Um, and then, yeah, we, we just never could recover. And um, that's it. That's one of those cases where, you know, the saying goes, uh, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Well, in this case, last night, the Hornets, if they had started well, they would have had a better chance at, you know, beating Brooklyn for the second game uh, this season. But, yeah, you, you, you can't afford to have – as you put it in the rundown, falter. Now you, you can't afford to falter. Now this is this is a stretch of the NBA season where, if we are going to not only make the playoffs but at least have a chance at you know hosting a game uh, at home or two, uh, this is when you need to start winning games and being consistent. Because uh, if the Hornets play like that did last night, it's not gonna it's not looking too good. No, you're you're absolutely right, and. James, this is something I wanted to get your touch on. The one thing I noticed, and look, we know slow starts have plagued this squad even when LaMelo was <laughs> on the floor, but Jesus, um, last night it took it to a whole new level, and it looked like, and Chris Webber noted this on the TNT broadcast, that what LaMelo brings in terms of a facilitator aspect of things was lacking. There, 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 there doesn't seem to be any flow right now, especially the other night in, in Brooklyn. I don't want to say that experienced vets are handing the ball to a guy who's played um you know 50 something games and basically expecting him to answer be the answer to their prayers uh but what they are expecting him to do is take the ball do things that they aren't even expecting because he seems to have some new move he does some cool new trick he does something that's unexpected every single game what they're hoping to get out of LaMelo Ball is temporary relief of pressure on your established stars. When LaMelo Ball shoots a crazy three with that weird shooting arc, Miles Bridges then, he knows, hey, that paint just got that much more open. They're going to watch LaMelo with an extra inch or an extra foot. You know, they're going to give him that much less space. So when you give it to a young rook who can do some cool stuff, you know, hey, this this squad, they've just got a little bit more comfortable for these next couple of possessions. Without that, we are now a team that, aside from Gordon Hayward, 
is pretty much relatively the exact same team from last year, right? The Hornets made pretty much zero notable additions outside of LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward. We don't have, you know, the guys we brought in are like way down towards the bottom of the bench, aren't even getting minutes for us yet. And that's a different conversation. But seriously, when you take away LaMelo Ball, the only thing that we have that's new is Gordon Hayward. But the problem is Gordon Hayward isn't new to the the rest of the NBA. He's new to us. And that's the difference. LaMelo Ball is new to everyone. Gordon Hayward is merely, he isn't new to anyone. He's been in the Eastern Conference for two, three years now. So this guy, he's not going to fool anybody um, with his tricks, with some of his plays. And that's the problem is the Hornets are quite more predictable without LaMelo Ball. Yeah, look, here's here's the thing for me. And the the main issue here going forward is, is that flow aspect of things aside from him just making you know otherworldly passes like you talked about he opens up so many other things and the one thing that Chris Webber said that I really liked and I agree with is not, there's not many times that you have somebody of that caliber that can make opportunities for others as often as LaMelo Ball can simply by being on the floor. A, he draws so much attention to himself because he's proven he can score, and the book on him was almost strictly a passer coming into this year. He's proven what a he joke. Can, he's proven he can do both of those things at an extremely high level. and He can score drawn, from anywhere. Exactly. He'll draw attention to himself that way. Look, he's as versatile as it gets, and Chris Webber talked very, very highly of him on the TNC broadcast um, to a, to a national audience that, of course, knows about him. But, you know, TNT scheduled that game a few weeks ago thinking that LaMelo was going to be in the ballgame. But there just seems to be a certain rhythm that's lacking. There's There's some kind of fog that's going on offensively. Defensively, this team had been playing fairly well. Look, Sunday, that game probably should not have gone to overtime if it weren't for uh, Devontae Graham catching fire late. That's what's going to have to happen, though. You're going to have to have Devontae. You're going to have to have Terry. You're going to have to have uh, PJ and 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 those guys that can score the basketball at will. Miles Bridges coming off the bench. Malik Monk is going to have to take on a bigger role now. These guys, Josh, that were relying upon LaMelo to get them the ball are now going to have to uh, create their own opportunities. Yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you I, about Lamelo. I think that you know that's the reason why we got him, right? Um, not only to uh, make the team better in a sense of uh, his passing ability, the fact he got eyes on the back of his head, uh, he's got such an awareness on the court, and he he, he uh, ups the tempo, so to speak, with the team, and um, and, and hopefully when Spectrum Center gets back to full capacity, we'll see more fans in the seats. Uh, because he's playing on the court, but, but yeah, again, I mean, I think last night, again, last night showed that LaMelo Ball's absence has really hurt this team offensively, but last night, before last night, again, the Hornets have been playing decently well without him on the court. Remember, I mean, this has been, what, three, four games now since LaMelo Ball fractured his wrist uh, against the Clippers, and, you know, you play a good game against Phoenix again, like you said, uh, shouldn't have gone into overtime. In my opinion, I totally agree with that as well. I think we have a good chance to beat them as well, and they're second in the Western Conference right now. 
you'd take on a Washington Wizards team with Russell Westbrook, beat them by 10 points. Um, but then last night, it just seemed like everything came to a screeching halt. So um, it, it was it was very disappointing. But I don't, I, I, you know, I, again, I, I would say that LaMelo Ball's absence is hurting this team. But I would, but I think last night was the first time we really saw that taking into effect. Before that, this team had adjusted well without him being on the court, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, up until last night, things seemed to be, you know, that the, there there was some rhythm. And it's almost like, you know, they came into that game on, on a national stage and just kind of lapsed, you know. You go back to the old adage, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Well, in my estimation, they never really started. If you don't start, you can't finish. So... <laughs> And another thing, real quickly, uh, that, that upset me again so much about last night was the fact that Houston or Houston, uh, Brooklyn was down three starters. James Harden wasn't playing. Exactly. Kevin Durant wasn't playing. Blake Griffin wasn't playing. You you basically got Kyrie Irving and Marcus Aldridge on the court. And Marcus Aldridge, this was his first game as a Brooklyn Net, so and, and nobody really knew how he was going to play. So you, the only player you really, I mean, I guess at the at the time really had to worry about was Kyrie Irving. And that's what upset me the most about last night's loss was the fact that it was against a Brooklyn Nets team that, again, the, the Chris Webber uh, and, the, and the announcers at the beginning of the broadcast mentioned they were a injury, injury fill or injury ridden team. So uh, the fact that you lose by over 20 points to a Brooklyn Nets team that's losing or that doesn't have two, three of their starters, two of which are probably the two, two of the best NBA players in the league right now. Is, uh, no is Blake Griffin either last night. Exactly. Yeah. Without again, it's very frustrating loss, embarrassing, and I hope it doesn't happen again down the road. I hope it doesn't either. And and look, uh, a part of the the Kyrie thing I attribute to is in that first matchup how well uh, Lamelo guarded him and what James Borrego did defensively when he would give KD or KD or Kyrie a lot of different looks uh, defensively. He would switch on both of those guys because you could key in on both of them. Last night, Landry Shamit let us up, for God's sake. I mean. Landry's a bum anyway. Part of the problem, I think, with uh, Charlotte right now is <clears throat> the effort on defense was super high, and now it's kind of ground back to a halt. We're not seeing a lot of closeouts on three pointers. They're just kind of letting him go, which I understand. I understand. If you if somebody's got a wide open three, and you're anywhere towards the paint, if you go for the closeout, you probably only affect their shot. Maybe I'm throwing out some crazy numbers here, but this is just from tens of thousands of hours of watching basketball that dates back to the 40s. Um, just because I'm that much of a nerd, uh, I'd say you probably only affect a shot 15 percent of the time. But I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I'd say fifteen to twenty. Or you is, foul is, him. Or you foul him. Um, there's this new thing in the NBA. I've been seeing it. I mean, new because I look at so much film. I'd say I, I really have only seen it in early as the '90s basketball, where you kind of what, what I call you just bomb them, where you run at them with your head down and you don't foul on purpose, but you 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 kind of frighten the brain, if you will. The basketball player is not affected, but the brain almost tricks the shot. James Harden has you been doing a lot of the shot. You alter the shot. And that's the kind of stuff I want to see on defense more so than offense. If if our 
if our defense can take a, you know, can climb, I don't even know if, if we're this low, but if we can climb 11, 12 ranks in defensive rating while only dropping two to three offensively, I'd take that. I would take that. I think Charlotte is the kind of team that good defense turns to great offense. You're going to get a lot more fast break points, something we've relied on for as long as I've been watching them, probably for as long as they've existed back in the day when they had a bunch of high flyers. So this is a team that needs decent offense in order to be contenders. We go back to those 90s, those mid-90s organizations uh, in Charlotte. Part of what made them so good was because you would – not give them enough credit on defense, which led to you not trying hard enough on offense, which led to Charlotte nabbing a whole bunch of wins. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think really quickly before he, we have to get in a break here, um, that uh, again, this is another thing you I think you can contribute or, or attribute to um, LaBello not being out there. Is there seemed to be a lot more energy defensively um, with Lamelo out there because he just brought that effervescent personality to things. And look, he's not on the floor. You you have to realize that. You have to snap that out of your mind and move. He's not at least four weeks now, more than likely longer. You've got to snap that out of your mind and get back to the way you were playing before, as if he was on the floor. And that's that's something that's going to take a little bit of adjusting. But I have no doubt in my mind that. James Borrego and this coaching staff are, are going to find some way to to kick things back into high gear here pretty soon. Josh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I know you got a busy morning ahead. Even be safe going back to uh, Buzz City and enjoy your uh, Easter weekend. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you so much. Uh, again, it's always a pleasure to be on the show and talk Hornets and basketball and football in general. So, uh, again, appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. J-Dub, in a moment, we'll get uh, your thoughts on the rest of the NBA as we go around the association next on The Score. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson and another guest before us this Saturday morning, our good friend Desmond Johnson, the head of all things Tobacco Road Sports Radio, our fine producer and the spearheader of this operation and uh, the biggest Carolina fan I think either of us know. Uh, Des, when you saw the news um, Thursday morning, I think, like most of us, you probably thought it was an April Fool's joke. That would be about Roy Williams, that is. Actually, I, I thought it wasn't. Uh, I, was, I was sitting on the toilet, <laughs> and it came, it came across my phone, and I, I, I let out like a, oh, no, because I knew. I, I've known in the back of my head that this day was going to come since the end of 2017. Like I felt that he was going to retire sooner than later. And I've been on record with this for Roy and Kay. Uh, matter of fact, Honestly, I've probably asked you guys this question at some time or another, really over the past two years and various shows I've hosted, podcasts, all kinds of different things. Whenever we're talking about Carolina and Duke, I have made a point to ask the guests the question, when do you think Roy and Kay are going to retire? Do you think it's upcoming? Just to get it on record, you know, that it's out there. And I was always met with like, uh, oh, no, they've got three or four more years and all this other stuff. But the last two years for Roy in particular – 
were so draining that you could see it. It was the first time you could really see it on his face and in his voice and press conferences. And I think uh, COVID, the changes in college basketball, um, the one and done stuff, all that stuff just kind of culminated so that it, it just seemed like it was the right time for Roy to go. He's done everything. So when I saw the message, I didn't really, I didn't think it was April Fool because Roy Williams isn't the type of person to do that for an April Fool's joke, if you know what I mean. Like if he's, if they're putting that out there, then that's that. It is what it is. Yeah, and, and I retweeted the uh, the tweet from John Rothstein of CBS Sports and believed it. And then people started replying to the tweet. Uh, 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 check the date. And then I saw other people start. I, I deleted the tweet because I was like, okay, this is John Rothstein would be the the reporter of anybody that would that would pull this kind of joke. Right. He's he has that kind of personality. Um. And then I saw Jeff Goodman tweet it. I saw. Shams, I saw Woj of all people tweet it. Yeah. I saw Adam Schefter tweet about it. I was like, okay, yeah, this this is definitely happening. And then Carolina put out the announcement. So, and you know, I've got other Carolina fan friends who are like, nope, nope, not believing it, not believing it. I'm like, I literally <laughs> sent you the tweet of Carolina announced it. Nope, not believing it. It's April first. Yeah, I, yeah. If the school is if Roy is not an April Fool's type of guy, not for that. Uh, no, you know, he wouldn't have done that anyway. And I think I, I heard uh, an interview. I think it was yes. Well, during uh, Thursday's stuff, um, when they were getting ready for Roy's press conference uh, from Reggie uh, Williams and not Reggie Williams, um, Kenny Williams, excuse me, and he was uh, basically saying that you know they the players found out first and they found out in the email, and that was their inclination too that oh this must be an April Fool's joke. But then they realized that it was coming from Roy, and they knowing Roy, they knew that Roy would not do that for that type of thing. Cause it would just cause too much chaos. So um, I, I never thought it was fake when I saw it, I've been stealing myself for it for the past couple of seasons. So when it dropped, I, I was a little uh, upset, but I'm kind of, I'm strangely at peace with it, to be honest. I'm kind of excited for what's going to happen in the future. You no, know, that's what I want to get your thoughts on next year um, is uh, who do you have as, as, as the guy here going forward? I, I saw some odds come out as to, uh, um, who the next guy might be. Um, I, well, I mean, and this is funny. I was talking to, uh, my partner, Rod Funderburg, who graduated from Carolina, uh, and, and Brandon Blakeney, uh, the three of us together are, uh, are the rundown. And we were talking about this over the course of the week. And I, and I was reminded that literally I've been on a crusade for the past three years on air that Hubert Davis should be the next head coach for the UNC Tar Heels. It just doesn't make sense if they don't pick him. If you look back at what's happened over the past decade, Hubert leaves a cushy job at college game day on ESPN to become an assistant coach at UNC back in 2011. So he has sat beside Roy Williams and learned from Roy the same way Roy learned from Dean almost to a T for nine years. Hubert's been the JV coach for North Carolina since that time. Roy Williams was given the JV coach and head job by Dean Smith so he could learn how to coach these kids. Hubert's been doing that for the past nine years. Hubert is the main recruiter for North Carolina right now. Uh, he, he has been that guy for the past four or five years, if I'm not mistaken. He just missed out on Zion Williamson. He is the reason why Cole Anthony, Kobe White, Armando Baycott, uh, Walker Kessler, Dayron Sharp, these five-star kids that came in, Hubert's the one that brought them in. So for me, I'm just sitting here looking at it like, okay, I, I hear the, 
the different names being thrown out there, but they don't make sense. Like I, the Carolina camp right now, from what I see, they're divided in two different camps. There's the keep it in the Carolina family camp. And there's the, we need to go grab the biggest name we can find regardless of if he's from the family or not camp. And I do not agree with that second camp. I see Mark few. I see Jay Wright. Um, I've seen Brad Stevens. None of those make any sense for Carolina. Like not one, like why would Mark few leave Gonzaga a place that he is literally in the middle of building into the next like new blood, if you want to call it, uh, why would he leave Gonzaga to go to the school that beat him in his only national championship appearance and, and start over behind a legend in Roy Williams, who's probably honestly, is he not on the Mount Rushmore of coaches? Like, is there, are there any, are there four coaches better than Roy Williams, coach K John Wooden and Dean Smith? Yes. Who? Red Auerbach. In college. Oh, just college? Yeah, just college football. Um, college basketball. Are there four college basketball coaches greater than those four guys? I don't know. I know. Um, I don't think talent in other places. I mean, yeah. overall, for what they've done, Wooden is just you know self-explanatory. K, yeah. all-time leader in wins, five titles. Roy, fastest to nine hundred, three titles. Two took two blue bloods to over four hundred wins apiece in Kansas and Carolina, and then Dean. Uh, this is Dean Smith. You know, what I, I mean? like, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an argument for a few other guys, and this is this is a fun discussion. This is why I like having you on because we get historical type discussions like this. Yeah, man. Um, John John Thompson, I would put in that conversation um, on, the, on the Mount Rushmore. So we're talking I, the top four college coaches. Of I would time. put him in the. I'm not putting him on there. I'm saying he should be a, at least worth considered consideration. I, I I think there's guys like John Thompson, like like a Bob Knight, so, so to speak. That Bob Knight's a good one. Yeah. Um, Adolph Rupp um, are, are guys that you know are, are synonymous with college basketball in, ter- in terms of their their coaching legacies. Um, I, I don't think they can be forgotten. I don't think they should be on the Mount Rushmore. I think the Mount Rushmore you just mentioned is perfect. Yeah, but I mean those four guys. Jim Beheim has they, to be in there too for the, yeah, all Jimmy he's B. done. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim Calhoun uh, from UConn, another mm-hmm. fantastic coach. Oh yeah. And there's and there's guys. I mean, there's guys out there. But when you talk about the four, like the the Mount Rushmore, you can the four horsemen. Those are the yeah, four guys. Yeah, that come to I mind. absolutely agree. And and and, this- and and to follow up, sorry, and to follow on that, I don't want to bring in as a Carolina fan. I don't want to bring in an outsider to Carolina. See, here's this. Here's the thing for me, guys. Duke, eight miles down up the street, started this thing about five mm. or six years ago through their social media called the Brotherhood. It never existed until five or six years ago when Duke went on this one and done tangent where they're basically attempting to copy what has been known as the Carolina family since the 1960s. Like Dean Smith started it and it's carried on for over 60 plus years. The family exists. So when you have a time like this where you need to find a head coach, you don't have to go outside of what you've built for 60 years. It's already in there. So to hear people go, oh, we should get Mark Few, who's 58, by the way. We should get Mark Few, or we should get Jay Wright, or some of these other guys. I'm more worried. Those about guys have no business that. leaving their current programs. Right. Absolutely no business. No business. And and why would they want to? Why would they want to follow in the footsteps of Roy? Mark Williams? Mark Few is what Mark Few's two wins away from a perfect season right now. Yeah, first something to happen in 40 years. Why would he leave that and go? You know what? I really want a new challenge. I'm gonna go to Carolina and coach there and start fresh. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for us. That makes. He's sense basically for him. invented his own blue blood at Gonzaga. Yeah. From blood. the ground up, a new, a new blood. blood, exactly. New blood. So why would he leave that? Same for Jay Wright at Villanova, same way. Um, 
Brad Stevens is interesting, but to be honest, I've always heard him attached to Duke when K retired. I don't. I don't think he's dropped. I don't think he's unless he. Yeah, I would say the only way he drops back down is to go to Duke. But yeah, I've always um, heard him attached to there. But uh, I've, I'm I'm in the Hubert Davis camp just for the work he's put in. I've always said on air for years that I've always assumed that Hubert Davis and Roy Williams had some sort of wink, wink. See, I did too. Type of deal because, like why, you said, why would you leave? Why would you leave ESPN? To exactly, like you coach? said, he dropped everything and left a, as you said, worded it perfectly, a cushy job at ESPN. Took his family, moved back to Chapel Hill, and basically has been the coach in waiting, so to speak, for the past six years. I don't for, think you could for, go with anybody for a else. Decade, exactly. Now, Wes Miller has put his name into this because of his stellar coaching. And what he's done at UNC Greensboro, which is also my alma mater. So I have a soft spot for Wes as well. And he's done just, a fantastic job there. Oh, yeah. He's done great. I just the, my, my only issues with Wes is his age, and he has not recruited at this level. Hubert has been recruiting at this level for the past half decade for Carolina. So people aren't understanding this one fact. There are recruits that are out there right now that are in the cycle for 2022, 2023, 2024. Hubert is the one that is talking to these kids that have not come in yet. If you don't hire Hubert Davis and you hire, say you hire Wes Miller, Hubert Davis isn't going to be an assistant coach for Wes Miller. He's like 12 years older than him. Like, why would he stay on staff and work for someone after getting passed for a job he's been sitting on the bench for for nine years? So on that instance, if you hire Wes Miller, you're starting completely over. Like Steve Robinson's not going to stay. Hubert Davis isn't going to stay. Those guys are going to leave. You might keep Sean May. You might elevate Kimball Marshall, those guys. But if Wes comes in, they're going to start completely over, and they're going to lose ground on the guys that they're trying to recruit in the year 2022, 2023, 2024, because Hubert has been their main contact. He's been the one that's built that relationship and talked Carolina family. If you keep Hubert, nothing has to change. You can run the same system you're running, the same recruits you're trying to get are still trying to come in. These kids are staying at Carolina like Caleb Love. Because they got recruited by Hubert Davis. If Davis gets the, the job and stays, you keep Caleb Love. Hell, you might be able to get Kessler to come back out of the transfer portal. Who knows? But he is the guy that's the connector to these kids that are at Carolina right now. So my mind, it, it boggles my mind to think that there are fans that want to bring in someone from the outside of this tree. When we have two great prospects right in front of us that are part of the Carolina Blue Blood lineage that Dean would want it, McGuire would want it. Roy Roy said it in the inter- – he didn't say it in his press conference, but I thought it was very, very important when he was going down his line of the coaching staff. When he got to Hubert Davis, he said, I don't think there's anyone on the planet that loves UNC more than Hubert Davis. And he also said in a separate sentence that he's already told the, Bubba Cunningham and upper management who he would like to replace him. I think it's Hubert Davis. I think he has told them that I have groomed Hubert for a decade for this moment. He is ready right now. I I absolutely agree. I don't think there's anybody that's more qualified for this. I don't think there's anybody that you can point to. Maybe Wes Miller. I don't think there's anybody outside. You can't go outside at this point. You've got to keep it in-house. I I don't see a reason to. I don't don't either. I, I don't either. And look, as... As much as you talk about, and you know better than a lot of people, what, what what this kind of brotherhood means, or the Carolina family, so to speak, means, there is, I don't think there's anybody better suited for, to take over for a, a legend in Roy Williams, whose, whose stature is, you know, beyond comprehension to a lot of people. 
Um, there's not anybody better to step in than somebody who's been under his wing as a coach for the past five, six years and somebody that played uh, four years for him on, on top of that. And I'll even go even further for those that say, well, Huber doesn't have any coaching experience. Jawan Howard didn't have any head coaching experience either. And Michigan nailed it out of the park with that hire. He was assistant coach on the Miami Heat and other NBA squads. He's been around talent. It's like you don't have to have head coaching talent. That's not the only thing you need for one of these big schools like this. And I've, I've been telling folks the past day or so now, you know, you hire Hubert first. A, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be historic because North Carolina's never had an African-American head coach run the men's basketball team. So, A, let's start right there. B, it's Hubert Davis. He's a former All-American. He's a Carolina legend. He's been sitting on the bench for a decade. So it's not like you're just grabbing some random dude. He's ingrained in the program already. So let's say Hubert gets the job and it doesn't work out. You know, like a, a Matt Daugherty situation. He's there for a couple of years. It just isn't working out. They decide to move on. Wes Miller's still going to be out there. And Wes Miller at that point will probably be at a major school. He's not going to stay at UNCG for the next four years. Someone is going to hire him. And at that point, you've got a mid-40s Wes Miller that now has power five head coaching experience that can play the Roy Williams role and come home to quote-unquote save Carolina if Hubert doesn't work out. So that way you're still in the Carolina family and you get the best of both worlds. You try Hubert out. If it works out, you've got a coach for the next 20 years. If it doesn't work out, you've got Wes Miller in your side pocket who will come home regardless of what school he goes to outside of UNC Greensboro. I have no doubt about that. If Carolina comes calling, Wes Miller's going to come. Any of them. If Hubert, if they ask Hubert to be the coach, he's going to come. Now, if Hubert says he doesn't want to be the head coach, that's a different conversation altogether. But I've not gathered that from anyone. And again, why would he want to be an assistant coach for nine years unless he had his sights set on the big throne, the chair, the Dean Smith chair? So, I mean, that's where I stand right now. Hubert should get first crack. Wes should be the, the plan B in case Hubert falls apart. A- absolutely. I don't think anybody could have said it any better than that. Uh, Desmond Johnson, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, a resident Carolina fan and, and head of all Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Thanks you all for all you do for us. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Appreciate you guys. And uh, congratulations on the, uh, the expansion of the score. You guys have been doing fantastic. Uh, numbers are going up. You guys are doing big things. Uh, just uh, congrats to everything you guys have been doing, putting in the work as well, man. Just appreciate y'all. Absolutely, sir. Uh, that being <clears throat> said, uh, we are going to go an extra hour instead of just replaying what you just heard. Uh, we're going to talk <laughs> about the Final Four next and talk about Gonzaga here on the score. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson. J-Dub, uh, we got the Final Four starting tonight uh, in the beautiful bubble in Indianapolis. Um, do you, and I talked about this with Dez on, on, on franchise players earlier in the week, do you see anybody coming close to beating Gonzaga? Yes. I do see teams coming close, but I don't know if I see them beating them. Gonzaga is a team that has been close. They've gotten there. I think it was, you know, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, they 17 lost or 18, they lost Carolina. Yeah. And they are really, really looking for that title. They've had the same coach 
a few for 20 years, man. He's been there for a long time, and he's built, he's this built that from the ground up. I think he's had what four final four appearances, not including this one. So he's he's really finally gotten this team to where it deserves to be. They have had a great year. Um, I do not see them losing to UCLA. UCLA is an 11 seed. They know the pressure that's on them, and I think it's going to destroy them. I think UCLA is not going to perform nearly as good as they should be, and I won't feel bad if I'm eating my words. They're an 11 seed playing an undefeated first seed, likely the best team in basketball. If you thought Illinois was better, you're probably a goofball because uh, they're not even here anymore. So Gonzaga is that good. Do I see them losing to Baylor and or Houston? That is another question. No, I don't think they're losing to Baylor. I think your championship game is obviously uh, pretty easily going to be Baylor versus Gonzaga, which is going to be a great game. If we get Houston versus UCLA, that'll be okay too. We still got some Texas representation, so I'm happy. Um, Got mixed emotions on U of H because I'm from there, but they beat my squad, so that's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I think Baylor versus Gonzaga is your championship game, and I do not see anyone coming close to Gonzaga outside of Baylor. I think Baylor really has a shot to beat Gonzaga, and you never know. That's the fun with college basketball is it can always go crazy. It can always end up being extremely unpredictable. Look at 2011, the greatest NCAA title run in the history of the world, led by Kimball Walker and the University of Connecticut Huskies, okay? Simply the greatest title run ever. I don't want to hear it. I, if you say any other year, you probably are moron. So <laughs> seriously, 2011 is the best ever. So I don't see teams upsetting Gonzaga. No, I think if Baylor wins, that's an upset. Obviously, they're not undefeated. Um, so I would say short answer, but I've already given you a long answer. Short answer? Hell no. No way. Gonzaga is the team this year, uh, and they're going to have a really good game, hopefully against Baylor. Regardless, it's going to be a great championship game. All four of these squads are amazing to watch. They're fun to watch. University of Houston, not so much as the other three, but still, they're all fun to watch. It's good basketball, and I think Gonzaga's winning the title this year. I I absolutely agree. Look, I, I see teams that might come close. I don't see anybody that's, like you said, I didn't see anybody that's beat them at this point. They're simply... They're just too good. And and I talked about this with, with Dez. Look, the the I guess you could say, you know, you, you, you could point to, you know, number to how crazy this tournament has been, but I don't think you can put that much stock in, in anything that's happened up until this point. Look, we've had an absolutely wild, just just absolutely wild tournament, right? And as fun as it's been, I still don't think we can sit here and be reasonable with ourselves and tell ourselves that. Um, you can't this isn't let be... what you want to happen affect what you think is going to happen because that's been right. This that's what I was trying to say. Chapel Hill fans for about eighty thousand years. Um, you produce one great player, and then you guys think you're on top of the world. Uh, the problem is when you watch these games, you start to expect upsets. Uh, here's the thing. Seeding is true for a reason. There's a reason you don't see upsets in NBA basketball. One, they're seven-game series. But two, basketball is not extremely luck-based like football is. 
Okay. Basketball, the best team usually wins pretty much on every given night. So I do not anticipate any sort of upsets throughout the rest of the season. I believe Baylor's going to be Houston. Gonzaga's going to definitely beat UCLA. They're a whole 10 ranks ahead of them. And Gonzaga's going to be Baylor. Plain and simply, it's getting boring. Boring in the way that the predictability is now almost at 100%. I almost and, can guarantee and what, when this you, when you When you whittle the tournament down to this point, that's what happens. Very yeah, rarely I mean, do you it, yeah, see it doesn't, somebody get an it, it upset It can only be crazy for so long. Right. Exactly. It's April, so the madness is over. I don't know what people are expecting anymore. That's that's a very good point, since the Final Four <laughs> is technically in April. Um, this team's too good. I'm I sorry. I mean, technically, this- it's, it's, it's April 2nd. It's definitely April. There's no technical about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just get past that. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Gonzaga, and I, I talked about this with Des on Franchise Players, too, that is if Gonzaga pulls this off, are they the greatest team of all time? I, I, I'm not yes. going to say yes, but I'm not going to say no either. Because I, I'd say the greatest basketball team of all time, obviously the UCLA, all those title teams. The only other team to go perfect really there. since then has been was 78 or 76 Indiana. And that's highly regarded as the greatest NCAA basketball team of all time. No, here's why, here's why I think Bruins. here's why I think you have to make the argument for Gonzaga because there's going to be asterisks galore. Um, look, I don't care. And we've both been adamant about how there shouldn't be an asterisk on this season because if anything, it's been harder to go in a perfect season, not only in has the schedule been reduced, condensed to, to to an extent? Yes. You have a tournament unlike any other where you're in the same three, four arenas the entire tournament. A. B. These kids have not been able to enjoy or experience college life at all this year. They've had to be tested twice every day. They've had to go to class online every day. They've had to do all kinds of stuff. Well, they can still go play games and I'm sure go to in-person classes if they want to, but there's so much that these kids have to go through that we as observers can't see with our own eyes. And that's why a lot of people are saying what they're saying. And I hate it because that's a disservice to everything that these kids, these administrations, these athletic departments, these coaching staffs, these athletic training staffs, medical advisors have had to put their heads together and go through to pull this off. We've made it here. And Gonzaga has made it here without losing a game. Baylor being on pause twice caused them to lose their undefeated season because they came out flat as all get out against Kansas. Yeah, they're in the Final Four now, but... Gonzaga was on pause twice, and it never affected them. They never skipped a beat. It affected other teams differently. Gonzaga, when you are in a situation like the season that we're in now, Gonzaga, better than anyone else, has handled it to to such a degree where it almost doesn't affect them. And that, if anything, should make it more admirable than than anything else. This is a Gonzaga team that is going to retire. Retire. They are built for bat- for college. College teams are no longer built to be really good in the ba- uh, in their own world, and then all those players end up being great in the NBA. 
this is now a split world where you're either champions in college or you're champions in the NBA. That's how it works. Gonzaga is champions in college, and they're going to do that. In a couple days, they're going to hoist that banner. They're going to cut the net off, and they're going to be the title winners. I almost, I can almost guarantee it. And if I don't, I won't feel bad. This is such a safe pick. I don't care if I'm wrong. It's one of those things where I feel like I'm winning no matter what. Whether I'm wrong or right, I still feel like I made the right choice, and I got to hand it to the Bulldogs. I, I do too. All hats go off to those kids, and again, everything they, they that they have had to go through to make this work. It's it's admirable. It's astonishing, really, in, in my eyes. And they're going to lift that banner. They're going to cut the nets down. And, and you've heard professional teams talk about how hard titles have been to win in, in this in this era of sports. This one is equally as hard, and uh, you know a lot of credit has to go the way of of Mark Few and, and what he's done. The other thing is that that I want to touch on before we get to break here is is the camaraderie between this Gonzaga team and uh, between the the guys on this Gonzaga team. Um, in 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 an era where you can't hang out outside of anything really, outside of being on the bench, which itself is spaced out. Um, these guys act like they've known each other their entire lives. And if you saw that locker room celebration um, after the Elite Eight win, if you haven't been watching Gonzaga, you haven't been looking at the, the shots of the bench during games, if you see that 15-second clip, that should tell you all you need to know. These guys love each other to death, even though they can't really see each other off the floor as much as they would be able to under normal circumstances. These guys act like they've known each other their entire lives and act like they've been playing with each other since they were kids. I mean, they're having fun in a season where a lot of teams, a lot of players just want to get to the end of it. And I think that's that's the most admirable thing to me above anything else. Uh, when we come back, we will talk some NHL and then we'll get to uh, baseball shortly here on Hour 2 of The Score on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside the one and only James Wilson. Hour two of the show this morning, J-Dub. Uh, let's go to the world of hockey in the NHL, uh, where there are some really, really tight division races, and the Carolina Hurricanes sit just a point out of first in the Discover card central division behind the state of Florida, that being Tampa Bay and the Florida Panthers. Yeah, so Carolina has really been dominant this year. This is one of the better Carolina squads we've seen. I think the first time really Carolina started getting this traction that they've had for these past couple of years is uh, I think I was still in high school. You know, I think it was their first playoff appearance in a year or so, uh, a couple of years since they had been in the playoffs at that point. This is a team that has relished playing in the Central. Seriously, they get to play teams like the Red Wings and the Stars all the time. Dude, those teams' cheeks. They, Dude, Dallas has 34 points. Uh, Detroit, 29 points. These teams are terrible. These teams are not good. They both collectively have 12. Uh, Dallas and Detroit have 24 wins. 
together. Carolina has 24 wins by themselves. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing Carolina absolutely just tear up this central division. They get to play teams that are way, way worse than them all the time, and they don't have to face tough opponents. Well, that might mean something coming into the postseason, but really the only team I think they have to be worried about is Tampa Bay. Uh, Florida, they've very much surprised me this year. They're sitting second in the Central, but they're tied for second in the Central. And like you said, Carolina's a mere one point from first, okay? If they had 53, which they don't, they'd be first in the Central. By the way, that's one of the best divisions there is. That's, or excuse me, that's it's one of the more dominant divisions. In the East, Washington, they're first with 50 points. In the West, Colorado, they're first with 50 points. In the North, Toronto, by the way, still pretenders, they're first with 49 points. So the Central, as much as these top three teams are very, very strong, the rest of the division is just plain and simply garbage. The Nashville Predators are fourth with 39 points. That is not good for anything in the rest of these divisions. That's the difference maker. These top teams in the Central are very, very strong. They're great puck teams. They they play well. They play a full 60 minutes. I hate to use all the cliches. They win the board battles. They really I love them. that you brought in the cliches. That's the they, best they, part. They, 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 they win hockey games. They win hockey they games. They do things the right way. I, I, the Carolina, I've actually watched more Carolina games than Dallas games for obvious reasons this year, but I'm just doing my job for one reason, but Carolina is a legit title contender this year. They might be able to put their names on the Stanley one more time. Uh, you know. So seriously, this is a real legit team. They're one of the best teams in the NHL by points. They're the third best team in the NHL. You could say they're one of the first best teams. Obviously, points is not everything. But they have been given such a nice, cushy division to play in, aside from the other two teams that are above them. They can get a winning brand of hockey going out in Raleigh, win some games, get into the postseason, and really show other teams what they're made of, especially once that all-Canada division, that North division, starts to play other teams. They're going to have another thing coming. As ironic as it is, for those who don't know hockey that well, these Canadian teams are cheeks, man. They are not good at hockey. They are not good at hockey. As of right now, yeah. Look, the they Canadian, haven't won the cup since what ninety five. No uh, Canadian teams. No, no Canadian teams won it since ninety ninety two. I think was the last time uh, when Montreal won it. Uh, speaking of Montreal, they're they're looking pretty decent, um, especially like with, considering where they were a mere two to three years ago. Right, and they, went they have definitely up, come back. They went out and picked up Eric Stahl this past week, which is a big mm-hmm. move for them uh, to bolster their their uh, their offensive production, which has been good up until this point. Um, I don't. I still don't think Toronto's the class of the North Division. Uh, no, that's a joke. Winnipeg we, and we, Edmonton are better than them. We're not buying it. I'm not buying it. Yeah, they got Connor McDavid. Okay, if Toronto traded for Connor McDavid tomorrow, then I'd say it. Yeah. I mean, come on. Toronto is not a real hockey organization. They're the Knicks of hockey. They are the apparently the mecca of your sport, and yet y'all have been terrible for 50 billion years. They're the exact same thing. They're the Knicks of hockey. I've heard it a thousand times, okay? They're the Cowboys of hockey, okay? They're the everything of hockey. They're the, um, I don't know what, the baseball one would be, but seriously, the Yankee. No, no, never mind. Yeah, the right. Yankees won it a couple years ago, you know. But yeah. uh, seriously, they are the, the they're the whatever of hockey. You know, you're supposed to be in this great big city, and yet you haven't won anything in a billion years. You get good for five seconds, 
and then we're all supposed to be, you know, go armadillo and just roll over and pretend as if you're the greatest thing ever, when in reality, you're freaking treading water. You got 23 wins, 10 losses, and three overtime losses. Are you seriously that much of a contender? I don't think so. As much as the top records in the other divisions are quite similar, you're doing this against the Canadian division. Okay, you're doing this against teams like the Senators, Vancouver, Calgary. You're not having to do this against teams like Nashville, Chicago, uh, Columbus. These, by the way, Dallas, they suck this year. They're a freaking Stanley Cup final appearance team just one year ago. Okay, so they're simply better to be second to bot uh, to the bot second to last in their division than the Sharks are in the West, than the Canucks are in the North. Okay. That bad teams in the North are far worse than the bad teams in any other division. If you took the bottom half of the North and placed the bottom half of the or the Central in the same division, the bottom half of the Central would be on top. It's just plain and simple. So Toronto, your record might be okay, but you're doing this against garbage organizations. Okay, I we haven't say seen the best of Winnipeg. We haven't yeah. seen nearly the best of Edmonton at this point. Why would some guy who grew the up in best, Columbia the best, play hockey? The best two players in hockey play for the Edmonton Oilers, Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid. Agreed. We haven't seen the best of them yet. Agreed. They're the only legit team in the whole division. Yeah, they're the only team I have any trust in to come out of that division. Because Winnipeg uh, pissed away their talent. Yeah, so they, they just I, I mean, trade you away line, I do yeah. not believe in you anymore. Nope. I, I don't believe in... I don't even believe in Calgary at this point, a team I thought was going to be really, really good. Montreal is surprising me, but look, the only team I see coming out of there is Edmonton, period. End of discussion. Um, look at the East and the West real quick before we get in the break. Uh, there's a three-way tie at the top of the East between three teams that are basically going to beat the crap out of each other until we get the end of the season. Washington, <laughs> the New York Islanders, and Pittsburgh because – those three teams are on such even even levels compared to each other. Yeah, um, you'd think Boston and Philadelphia would be up there with them. Um, I mean, that's but, the division battle to watch. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they're just going to beat the crap out of each other to see who finishes among those top three, and then Boston and Philly are going to beat the crap out of themselves to to get that four spot for that last spot in that division to get in. You know, I, I I've been looking at the East for a long time. We don't get a lot of their games televised where I live, or at least I don't look hard enough. Um, but I think I said coming into the season, the East is the division to watch simply because you have, I'd say, quite a bit of talent in the, in the, in the division. I'd say, really, you take away the Rangers, the Devils, and, the, and Buffalo, the Sabres. All of those teams, if you told me they won the division, if, if you had a time machine before the season started and said, oh, Philly won it, oh, Boston won it, Pittsburgh, New, uh, the Islanders, Washington, if you told me any of those teams won the division, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Philly, not so much anymore, but seriously, those top four teams are quite decent organizations. Obviously, Boston's not where they should be in the points race, but that to me is, it might not be the the team, the division that produces the Stanley Cup champion. It might not be whatever, but it's fun hockey. It's fun to watch. You don't know what's going to happen. It's not predictable like the North. It's not... Um, lopsided like the central the west um they've got some talent over there especially colorado and vegas um i'd also say st louis is in the mix i don't think they are worse than minnesota even though the points might say otherwise so the to me the east has been 
I don't want to say the premier division, but in terms of the kind of brand of hockey I like, it's been so, so, so entertaining. It's been a lot better than I, I think it's been better than the West, which I thought was going to be the best division to watch. Uh, not just because mm. my team was in it. That's, you know, been treading water up until this point and, and make no excuses, but they're clinging to life uh, on that fourth spot in the West division uh, in a division with you're better than Min- Minnesota. So, Minnesota, you know, Minnesota it's, it's, has okay. Minnesota is better than us actually right now. Um, uh, no, 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 no. I get it. I get it. I get that your record is not even close. The points aren't even close. Yeah. Listen to me. You're better than Minnesota. Minnesota. Cause we haven't good. been at full strength. Minnesota, but by the way, Minnesota has done this before. We've seen yep, great we seasons yep, from them. We've, yep. I mean, dude, Minnesota is a very young franchise. They were pretty good. I'd say they were half decent from the moment they started. This is their brand, dude. They start out, they're okay, they're, yeah, you know, whatever. Oh, Twenty years ago, they they're se- their history. second or third year in existence, they knocked the defending Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings out of the playoffs. Yeah, they swept them. But so, Minnesota always, it's the city of poverty, okay? We're not fooled. I'm not fooled. That's the weird, ironic thing about that state. That is hockey in America, okay? That is the state of hockey. And yet their NHL franchise is Garbo. It's like Texas with football. All four teams in that the Frozen is, Four for the NCAA right. are from the state of Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, I do. All four of them. I didn't even know that they had that many teams in their system, but it's like it's literally Texas for football. You know, it's 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 the state of football, but their pro teams are you know well a joke. So I, again, let's go I, Saint I really Cloud State. <laughs> I really don't see Minnesota finishing higher than St. Louis at the end of the year. You've guys made some decent acquisitions. Um, look, in the it, past it, couple it, seasons, look, the Blues, I don't think you're the Blues, the Blues are going to get a lot of guys back. Look again, I, I've said this as uh, not necessarily as an excuse, but more as, as a a reason to point to. Tarasenko's just now coming back. Ivan Barbashev just got activated off of IR. There's two or three more guys that have to come off of IR uh, going forward here. Bozak just came back. Look, when this team gets to full strength, and I'm assuming they're going to make some kind of move at the deadline, whether it's for some added uh, depth at the uh, uh, on the blue line defensively, or an extra some extra forward help to help out with the scoring drought that they're in. I mean, Bertuzzo's they- going to murder a couple players. <laughs> He's going to beat them up like Batman. You know, that's what he does. Sunquist and Gunderson are out for the year. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that that's. Hurts. That that hurts, but look, which means you're probably going to go out and make a move for somebody to replace one of those two guys and tread water until you get those guys back. Barbashev's back. Colton Pareko's on the way back. Uh, a big help to that blue line defensively. So Vegas and Colorado are going to be the top two in that division. It, I think right now it's just between. I think Colorado's. They're, Colorado's going to win winning. that division. They're winning yeah. the division. They're it's the it, it, it's it's between Vegas, St. Louis, and Minnesota as to who finishes two through four at this point. Uh, We're going to get in one last break. When we come back, we'll talk uh, what was a wild and wacky opening day of Major League Baseball next on The Score. Very.